Libby Fisher-Hellman, one of this year's judges and last year's winner of the Book of the Year Award, said this about Adio Love Monster. Morocco seamlessly weaves together disparate opposites, the old with the young, the Italian insiders with the German and non-Italian outsiders, the memory of the elderly with their experience of modern life. The resulting tapestry is a world where inflated egos meet their demise but retain a shred of dignity. Friendships are made or shattered, husbands run amok, wives threaten each other with lifelong enmity but soon forgive. Death can be sudden or violent. There's even a murder or two. But most of the time, we are witnesses to the details, people, and events that shaped mid-century America. This is fiction to be savored over time. It will charm and captivate you as it takes root in your soul. Krista, I, I, I you know, I was going to say, wow, wow. But, I'm not, but I'm not done here yet. <laughs> Christina Morocco works in memoir, short story, long fiction, and poetry. She, te she teaches creative writing and other courses at Elgin Community College. Her website is writer Christina Morocco, and I'll spell the last name, M-A-R-R-O-C-C-O dot com. I have to agree, by the way, with uh, Giuseppe. Lena could, uh, could try to speak a little Italian, or a little Sicilian at least. <laughs> She might. She's already bilingual, though. Uh, <laughs> do you do you speak Do you speak uh, Sicilian? No, I can understand some. Okay, uh, I heard a lot growing uh -huh, up, uh -huh. and um, and I've studied in my adulthood. I've studied Italian, but studying Sicilian outside of Sicily is a, is another. Um, I, I think it's a, another mountain that I would love to climb. We'll we'll see if. The life is long enough to do it. Uh, <laughs> As but, a novice, and I, I've got I've got a, a writing partner who's who's Sicilian, but I, I've I've been to Italy a dozen times. Is there a a substantial difference between Sicilian and Italian? I'm guessing yes. there is, huh? Yes, yes, and there's also a lot of fighting about it. So <laughs> no matter what I say, you know, uh, there will be agreement and disagreement. But I think um, looking at it kind of from a historical point of view and from a linguistic point of view, uh, Sicilian is a language rather than a dialect. Okay. Uh, and there were many languages. They were related to each other. Yeah, but yeah. before the unification of Italy, they all existed. And mm -hmm. then one was chosen. And that's, you know, that's what we call Italian today. But uh, yeah, it has its own words. And Sicilian is heavily influenced by many languages uh, but particularly heavily by Arabic. So, um, yeah, for well, sure. It's different. I think the way it's held in the mouth is yeah. different as well. Um, I, I think if you hear it, you, you feel this is a completely different language. That's so, really yeah. interesting. I, I, I want to know more, but we're not going to, we're not going to start any linguistic arguments here. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to Chicago, good. right? Uh, and congratulations on being one of the uh, the Book of the Year winners for 2022. That's that's astounding. Yeah, it is astounding. I'm still astounded, right? This is my debut novel. Um, yeah. 56. And, uh, you know, you, you hope for something wonderful uh -huh. to happen after all that work. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you don't know that that's going to happen. And when it does happen, yeah. you know, yeah. it's shocking in all the right ways. So I, I really appreciate the award and um, also, you know, 
the review and the comments on the book. So, so no spoiler alerts. I had, I had three books that I had to read this week, this Jade world, uh, so costly a sacrifice and your book, all, all of them are, are astounding, but I just started in, in your book to be a cat is a fine thing. And, and I could not put down your book. It, it, it's, Initially, I thought, well, what what do I have? What do I have in common with with a a widowed Sicilian matriarch? I, I found so much in it that corresponded to my upbringing, and and just the uh, the simplicity of of especially uh, the way you render dialogue is is astounding. I always I, and and I, I I've had a couple of plays that uh, that did well. Um, I, so dialogue is, is a very, very important aspect of my creative process. Uh, and I'm always trying for that authentic way of speaking that is, is natural to how, to how we, we normally communicate, you know, where, where, where we talk around a subject or, or the, the repetition that isn't really repetition that, that each, that each part of that actually has has nuance and meaning and importance. And I think that um, it's, you know, that's one of the things that I spent a lot of time revising, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you're writing, you're putting in dialogue uh, and that dialogue is invariably going to change uh, as, you, as you do more revision, but also as you sit in that dialogue. I think it's a, for me, it's a combination between almost, I mean, this is going to sound weird and kind of woo-woo, but um almost sitting in a writerly trance when you're writing dialogue. Like you have to, from, from my perspective, you have to hear the dialogue yeah. in your own head, right? Yeah. And and then, yes, you're writing it in the way that a person would speak, but at the same time, it's, it's not exactly the way a person would speak because there are things in language that are not going to, mm-hmm. to necessarily work, right? And then that repetition for emphasis, you know, it's it's hearing them again and again and actually visualizing your character standing there saying it. How are they standing? How are they breathing? What is going on in the back corners of their mind as they're speaking? And and I think that for me, that's that's like the dialogue non-process process is I've actually got to be in the body and in the mind of that character really, really heavily to get that dialogue to work. Specifically, I'm thinking of of a of a piece of uh, a piece of dialogue or or uh, a line at least from mm-hmm. from Lucy where she walks in to Giuseppe's uh, kitchen and the window's down and it's steaming hot and she just says, "Where's the fan, Ma? Where's the fan? Please." And it's and you you render that with such familiarity. Where where did that? come from because that feels like 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 a line or something that you that you would have heard as as a child yeah so i would not have known the people who have inspired these these fictional accounts right I yeah, would not have yeah. known them they they would have died just you know i would have just missed them mm-hmm. um, but as a kid probably all my life uh, and I think a lot of writers are like this, we're quite observant and mm-hmm. we listen really carefully and we, we just soak up up the stories 
but we soak up the way they're told, mm -hmm. not just what happened. And I think that, well, some of that, that's how I, how I probably would talk if I were them. Right? Okay. Um, so, so there's some of that, uh, but it's, you know, I think it comes from being a daughter, from being a mother, from, even though it's in a time removed, that insistence, but also knowing the friction yeah. between characters, because so much of the dialogue is, is set in the unspoken mm -hmm. um, smearing between these people. They are, yeah. they love each other, but they, like sometimes they really loathe one another and they're real problems, right? And that so piece, I think that that yeah, yeah, I was going to say that the, the, that piece, that piece you, you, you break up into, into three sentences, three uh, demonstrative sentences by, by Lucy. And they each, they each have, have their own importance, their own thought behind it, their own emotion behind it. There's, there's frustration, there's love, there's, there, there's, there's scolding. There's there's all of these things, and I don't think any of those lines could work as well on their own as they do in this in this seeming repetition. Um, but you march that you march us through those emotions as the subtext to those lines. Yes, and I agree. I don't think they could either. And, you know, there's some like alchemy that happens uh, when, yeah. when you're pulling various emotions and in what order are they falling in? And so much of that, I think, happens in your gut rather than in your head. Yeah. you got to experience what those characters are experience, experiencing. You have to like surrender to it. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's difficult, like some of the things these characters are experiencing really, really unpleasant. And, and you have you a know. way of rendering that. I'm going to get to that in in just a moment. I, but I, I so I, I want to go here. This is a world gone by mostly that that rough and undefined place where old world meets new. Uh, I'll read this from from the from the book. Anthony missed school, though he knew most boys his age wouldn't have. He missed Miss Tobin too. She was a square shaped woman who wore blue dresses, white collars, and wire spectacles. She smelled of Wrigley's spearmint gum and pink erasers, and he missed that as well. That brought back such memories because I, you know, I I, I, I still do visual arts uh, and I still write books in long form, sometimes in pencil, sometimes in pen. But nice. I remember the smell of those those erasers on number two pencils. I don't recall that that is still an aspect. I could be wrong. But your writing is filled with those poignant little memories. And I, I agree with you. I don't know if they still smell. Either my sense of smell has gone or they don't. And they're made out of something else completely now. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's childhoods, but things were imbued with scent um, and yeah. sound, right? Yeah. But but the smell of rubber cement, the smell of your, you know, your Elmer's glue, the the smell of the eraser, the smell of the rain coming in because we had windows that opened in schools. Um, you know, all of those things, you you're kind of like steeped in that. And um, and so in my writing, whether it's this book or, or anything else, I, mm -hmm. I do I do tend to to go to scent and to sound. As you were talking. 
I was listening to uh, what you were saying about the erasers. And I also heard the sound. Do you remember the sound of the paper guillotine? You know, the thing. Yes, that yes. That, 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 that metal <laughs> sort of slice. And yeah. yeah, these things were very particular. And, you know, I do wonder if a pers person who never smelled it or never heard it, heard it, heard it. Okay. <laughs> a person who never heard it would get the same visceral reaction. They would definitely get something, but I think for those of us who who have a a context for that, a sensory context for it, mm -hmm. it's it's really, you know, writing it delighted me because I got to go back and smell and hear and feel the textures and and be in those spaces. And for this little boy, you know, his his life is uh, fleeting, and yeah. uh, and. <laughs> he's of a fine mind and a high intelligence mm -hmm. and uh you know he realizes that and he's taking in everything he can he can take in yeah yeah uh, i'm going to return to that too because you employ something uh really ingenious in, in that story here but uh, uh these characters mean something to you um even even when they're acting poorly uh, and doing rep reprehensible things, you render each of them with such sensitivity. Why not judge these characters, good or bad? You kind of leave it to to us to make that that judgment. Yeah, I think that just in my own psyche, I am I am finishing with the binary world mm -hmm. in so far good and bad and in simple choices. And, and in looking at people, you know, I feel like we see things oftentimes as if we're writing Yelp reviews for everything mm -hmm. that passes before our eyes. I like this, didn't like that, hated him. This one's toxic. This one is terrible. And even terrible people occasionally do wonderful things. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, even people we understand in our own experience with them as wonderful have done terrible things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, we are humans in general are this really dense fabric mm -hmm. and we're changing moment to moment. And, uh, you know, depending on who's looking at you or how you're looking at yourself, uh, you know, are you good? Are you bad? Are you so much more than good or bad? And I think, yeah. I think that's where, you know, I couldn't, I could not villainize or canonize anybody and um you you and, render and, um even the children so, even the children yeah. are not all, right well I'm, I'm thinking i'm thinking of of uh big enrico is it is that who it is who is who is uh who's peeking with the stool <laughs> and he's he's peeking in uh in giuseppe's bedroom while she's while she's sleeping you you render that with with such sensitivity and uh and even a little brevity um maybe maybe a little bit more you know even even outright comedy at, at a moment and and that i i think that sort of belies your exceptional power as a writer thank you yeah i want how do i um say this i want even in the face of tragedy there yeah. to be laughter yeah we're not laughing at the tragedy we're not laughing at the pain yeah. but we're laughing at the act of being alive mm -hmm. and i don't think those things are separated they, they tend to be layered uh, yeah. and and the laughter can can save you uh 
in a lot of ways. Uh, though I think with Big Enrico, we are laughing at him a little bit too, because you know of what he's what is the size of his inflated ego. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like what what he's doing but by the end uh, uh, as I was writing it by the end I wasn't laughing at him at all anymore mm -hmm. so you know I think that the humor the humor I'm hoping is a kind of a steady uh, raindrop mm -hmm. throughout the stories that that it's it's always there because it's always with us indeed because if you can't laugh good luck to you, yeah, you that's know? true that's <laughs> very luck. true yeah so I, I found this. I, I want to return to Anthony for a moment. Uh, we we started to we started to to talk about this just a little bit. There's a subtext of Greek and Roman mythology throughout mm -hmm. this piece, Narcissus, Demeter, and and Persephone, that that builds out body image issues and grief and guilt and loss. Uh, did you begin with that, or did you discover that as as the story began to unfold for you? Interesting question. I think I began with it really lightly, and then it uh, it was more fully formed later. But I would add that I think I began with that way before I read this book or read, yeah. wrote this. To add it that uh, before I wrote the book, because I had been doing a lot of research and had written a dissertation on the evil eye in Italian American literature, <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, I was really looking at. Demeter and you know the the return to earth with Persephone mm -hmm. and uh it, Sicily being Persephone's island and mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. of this stuff and also like you know earlier versions of resurrection stories and and all yeah. of that so that was that was in my head but not on, at the forefront it was somewhere in the back some other work I'd done but I think I carried it in and this was surprisingly the first story of the collection that you know of the novel oh interesting mm -hmm. uh -huh. and uh and that's where it came out and then when i looped back at the end and revised and revised and revised as you do i saw that there and i started saying well you know how do i give this the room that it needs and, and i loved i loved the take on anthony's view of of narcissus as um as a resurrection story as a as a as a comfort rather than um rather than a punishment yes yes and you know he's a he's a young kid uh he doesn't and shouldn't mm -hmm. have the language yet to um think through his own imminent death um yeah. he, he he just can't and shouldn't have to but he does have this and this is what is giving him I don't want to call it strength. I think it's hope. I think hope is the mm -hmm. thing, you know, so many poems about hope, right? Um, but hope of that is what he's holding to in the beauty of that. So, you know, yeah. Miss Tobin, uh, for him, she symbolizes so many things. She symbolizes a movement into different ways of thinking, into Americanization in a way, um, into his own value. But also she gives him that hope on a platter, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't think she would have known that that character would have known what he would have made of it, but she knew that it would offer some kind of comfort. And I think that's why he, um, how and why he gets it. I, I always say, I think because 
while I created these characters, I, they took on lives of their own and, and um, I can't see everything that's behind the scenes. I can just kind of feel it, you know, and hope I'm, hope I'm on the right track. Right. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful touch. And, and I, I thought uh, a really powerful way of, of telling, of telling the underlying story. So this was, this was my take on uh, to where I am in the book, that this is a definition of, of loss and loneliness and these Band-Aid type cocoons that we weave around us to soothe that loneliness and distance and distance ourselves from, from loss. Am I, am I kind of? Yeah. In- yeah. I, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. I, oh, I'm sorry. My, my computer is making oh, that's a little okay. sounds. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, loss, and I don't want to get too heavy, right? Because uh, it's a, the book is a good time as well. <laughs> but, you know, loss is part of life and yeah. it's a hard part of life. Mm-hmm. It's not like we just say, well, it's part of life and um, so be it. We mm-hmm. struggle, struggle, struggle with, mm-hmm. with loss mm-hmm. and connections with other people. These cocoons mm-hmm. are what keep us going they're like cotton batting they they give us some protection from the from the slicing kind of uh mechanics yeah of you know of the reality of our finite lives and also you know our hmm, they're more than disagreements our juxtapositions with each other and you know the the wrongs that we feel others have have done to us or that we fear we've done to others mm-hmm. you know the, those cocoons those little sanctuaries mm-hmm. of um people expressing love as imperfectly as it may be uh, i think i think that's the essence of that's the essence of art right is is to mm-hmm. uh is to lay lay all that out there and share it with people so that it becomes it becomes a familiar uh, a familiar, familiar part of our of our communal conversation yes and yes. and and you do it um, beautifully, just beautifully. I, I have to say this because I, I spent a lot of time in the Balkans and in Bosnia. Giuseppe is a professional mourner. Yes. I don't know that many people that many people have experience with that in in this country anymore. As I said, this is this is another world gone by. In in Bosnia, they call them. Um, I think it's uh, Narakache. Uh, if if I'm getting that correctly, my wife will will correct me. And and I remember in this in this little town of Pale in the mountains above Sarajevo, we were we were visiting uh, my wife's family, and we were passing a cemetery where there was a funeral going on, and these three little sweet old women come walking down the road, and they're laughing and chatting, and as soon as they get to the gate, the tears and wailing begins. I stood there in awe through the ceremony and watched as they left, like shutting, you know, like, like flipping a switch, the tears ended, they were smiling again and walking back up the road. But that's, that's an amazing, that was an amazing moment in the, in the book for me, especially the way that, that you render it very, very similarly to how I recall seeing those women. Yeah. And um, this is a, a practice, right? I think that existed in, in many places, uh, including the Mediterranean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and died with Giuseppe's generation yeah. in the United States. I think they brought it with them, and yeah. then you know it didn't continue 
after that. It, it serves such a purpose. And sometimes mm -hmm. when you, um, when you, when I talk to people about this, there'll be a, um, a way of thinking about it as if it's an act or if it's false, <sighs> but it is anything, but it's anything, yeah. but that. Um, and I, I love what you noted, which is their, you know, their ability to, when they arrive, this is what they're here to do. Uh -huh. And they feel all of that grief. And it, it's the grief for the, the departed, right? It's yeah. seeing the departed off into whatever mm -hmm. uh, lies or doesn't lie beyond. But it's also uh, acknowledging for the family the immense pain that goes with, with death, or the death of a family member. Yeah. But I think it's even more than that. It's also mourning for all of us. Yeah. It, it, for this reality, uh, and it, and it holds, you know, all of that human pain, and it can't, it can't, that spigot can't stand forever. It's got to shut off. But um, their ability to do that is, uh, it's astounding to me. And you know, the Irish had the keeners, and you mm -hmm. know, the, there was a reason that humanity uh, developed these methods, and and I do think we are somewhat lost without those you know i think that uh, they, they serve a real purpose yeah i agree i agree with you um why construct a new town mulberry uh <laughs> is in the is in the suburbs of chicago um i i think i think you put it near around forest park and maywood and melrose park but what was the the fictional function or fictional construct in in creating a, a new town or a uh, town a that doesn't things. exist yeah. yeah i think it i think it gave me some freedom okay uh you know with with just location where i wanted to place things and where yeah. i wanted to place people well most of it happens you know in five houses <laughs> yeah are pretty much you know very close to each other on the street i think with fiction when it's fiction that is pretty uh heavily observed you mm -hmm. know and then translated into characters you also want to have it happen. So, so people don't feel that, Hey, this is this 10 people will say that that was my grandmother or this was this person and, and, and it's not. Yeah. So I yeah. think it clarifies that as well. Yeah. I think that those two things are, are my, my main reasons. I wanted to create a liminal space, right. Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. doesn't really exist, but very much does my, um, my dad grew up in, uh, on Almond Street, which is no longer there, which is in the was was in the Taylor Street neighborhood uh, mm -hmm. before the Burns Home and, and all that went. Yeah, up. yeah. Uh, and my my mom grew up in Melrose Park, and you know, like I was, my early years were spent in Maywood. So, you know, I wanted to take little bits, I think, of sensibilities from from these areas and and be able to you know stir them up in a pot and. And, but the city is the city. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, in this suburban Mulberry Park, there's a real knowledge that they are not the city, but they are so close. You know, their distance is close. But Big Enrico, you know, he's really drawing some some differences and he he, uh, he prefers the city itself. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, Christina <laughs> Morocco uh, works in memoirs, short story, long fiction, and poetry. She teaches creative writing and other courses at Elgin Community College. Her award-winning novel is Audio Love Monster. Uh, how does that sound, by the way? Award-winning. Right? 
Um, I won't be able to walk through the doorway in about a minute, but. <laughs> and and <laughs> like I said, great. I just spoke with Mark Hudson, his first book. He hit he hits with with award winning uh, with uh, award winning nonfiction and this is your first book. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, and congratulations to all of us. Um, Absolutely. I I think uh, I think when it's been a long time coming, uh-huh. it it's just wonderful when, when that happens that way. But also when it's been a long time coming, you're pretty ripe, you know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know? You uh, you've been circulating these ideas around for a really long time. So uh, by the way, by the way, did you did you have an agent? I did not have an agent. Okay. Uh, it's a super small press, an excellent press, Ovunque Siamo, mm-hmm. out of New Jersey, and um, uh, you know, I just kind of figured it out on the on the go. But the the press, I knew of the press already, and okay. um, they were really helpful in giving me some advice uh-huh. offering to publish and then hooking me up with a book developer and giving me some, you know, connections for really good uh, proofreading as well. Very. So all, all of that is necessary. And and that was, uh, you know, that was essential to the success. That was essential to this ever being published. So I, I really appreciate those people and and uh, uh, I, I cannot wait to finish the book uh, and I'm looking forward to meeting you at the bookseller in January for the award ceremony. Uh, her website is writerchristinamorocco.com. That's writerchristinamorocco.com. Um, if you want to hear the full interview, go to the Playtime podcast and I'll post links to that in the notes below, as well as writer Christina Morocco uh, and uh, and a direct link to uh, to Amazon so people can buy this book. This is this is a keeper. Um, and it's uh, it's it's one of those books. You know, I, I spoke with the author yesterday of um, this Jade World, and he has he has a, a background in poetry, as you do. I could feel his poetic rhythm popping off the page and and you do the same thing so i i i kept feeling that rhythm um through time time and time again as as i was reading uh, as i was reading a book there there are things and and i'd love your thoughts on this there there are things about um poets and the way they write alliteration repetition rhythm that that are imbued and I, I brought up this uh this example that comedic actors are or comedians often make the best dramatic actors because they have that imbued sense of timing in telling a joke and and I think poets tend to make uh, exceptional writers as as you're a, you're a, a great example of because you also employ those aspects again alliteration and 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 repetition and uh, and and rhythm and rhyming that other writers or or non poet writers might tend to not either not consider or avoid. Yeah, or just haven't built that muscle, right? Or don't you know? Indeed. don't have that habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is exactly why, as a as a creative writing teacher, I really encourage my students to work in multiple genres. Because what you're doing in one and you know or modes, whatever you want to call them, but what you're doing in your poetry will influence your prose writing. Mm-hmm. The other way around, and even research writing is going to you know influence 
both of those. Yeah. Uh, everything, you know, is tied together. So I, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. And if you want to wrap your reader up in your prose, you know, you want them to enter a different time and space fully and, and feel that they're there. Mm -hmm. I think that being a writer who has worked in poetry or is reading poetry, right? It doesn't have to be that you're, you know, yeah. publishing poetry, but who's looking at poetry, who's, who's interacting with poetry. It can really, uh, it's not that you have to think about it. It just calibrates you in a way that comes out on the, on the page. Mm -hmm. So I can't say enough about, you know, read, read poetry, play with poetry and play and poets play with prose. You know, I, I mm -hmm. think it, it, it all builds just something that is so usable for you and as a writer in a lot of different ways. Last, uh, last quick questions. Mm -hmm. Any, any less or less question rather the last, the, any, any lesson that you learned from writing this book? <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah well I learned you know patience and you know revise yeah. revise revise and don't let people influence you too much because mm -hmm. there are some people I really really respect who wanted the cat story and the day nothing bad happened out and I left them in and I was I'm so glad I did but I think and this is gonna be nuts and bolts but the biggest hardest thing for me to learn was that there are going to be typos <laughs> you're going to publish this thing yep. and you're going to find mistakes. Make sure there are as few of those as possible before mm -hmm. you publish, but you will likely have and to And they back. will be big as a page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you will, you will then have the biggest moment of imposter syndrome that you've ever had and think that you should have never done it. And, yeah. you know, why is this this way? And if that happens to anyone as a writer, just like take a hot bath, calm down. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. It's really gonna be okay. Yeah. It can be. It can be fixed. Um, but that was a surprise to me because I thought when it goes to when it goes to publications, it's gonna be. I'm done. I'm done. Uh -huh. And it's gonna be perfect. And it's you know if you really love it, it's never done. And if you find a mistake later, you're gonna fix it. It's a but it's a it's a human work of. Uh, mm -hmm. work of art as well and uh and and i think i think depending on on the number and level uh yeah. but but a few typos is is endearing and humanizing and and centering as as well you open this door so i gotta go through it um <laughs> eyes on a manuscript is is something that I hear time and time and time again mm -hmm. from authors and and book doctors and editors. You you sort of spoke to this about uh, about readers who have who have looked at your work and didn't like this or didn't like that. How do you how do you make a determination if everyone says I hate this, I love this? Uh, or 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 a few people wish you hadn't you hadn't said it this way you'd said it another way how do you as as a writer as an author make that determination okay well first um if everybody's saying something you better look at it okay. you know if 10 people looked at your story and 
they're all saying, hey, there's a problem or, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was bothered by this or I don't understand what's happening. You absolutely have to look at it. No question. And everybody's going to have an opinion. Exactly. But, um, and there's a really good book. I think it's called Slow Writing by Louise DeSalvo. Um, she's also got a Writing as a Way of Healing. These are really wonderful, wonderful books. Mm -hmm. uh, and and she really cautions people. And, and I'm, I do agree with this. In your first drafts, even maybe in your second draft, don't run out and get feedback. You want to, because you want to like finish writing and hand it to the person next to you and go mm -hmm. read this. And then you want them to say, oh, it's wonderful. You know, <laughs> that's human nature. Um, but it's not great to take on other people's ideas and reactions when you haven't finished having your own reaction to what you've created. So I think, you know, it, it's wise to wait, uh -huh. but then it's absolutely essential. And for me, you know, just briefly with this book, so much of it is uh, is set in a Sicilian, in Sicilian American households, not all uh -huh. of it. Uh -huh. We've got other, um, other ethnicities as well, and uh -huh. we've got a lot going on, but there's a heavy Sicilian presence. And, you know, I had to have readers who weren't familiar with that. Yeah. To make sure that, you know, it, it made sense to them, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. they didn't feel like this isn't for me or I'm left out. Mm -hmm. And so that was really, really helpful, too. Now, when we get to that other part where, you know, a couple of people were like, oh, I think that these two stories aren't as literary as the rest, yeah. uh, you know, or they're not character driven like the rest are. Mm -hmm. Then I had to go, OK, what is my like, I appreciate that. I still appreciate that feedback. I don't in any way belittle or throw out the feedback, but then mm -hmm. I say, okay, the, now what's my sensibility about that? And my sensibility was that readers myself. So I reread it as a reader, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. walk away from it for a while and then come mm -hmm. back and read it just for pleasure. Mm -hmm. I needed that break. I needed to go and spend time with that cat uh, <laughs> and see what his alternate reality was because it was a very immediate life that he mm -hmm. lived. Mm -hmm. um, I needed the day nothing bad happened because I needed there to be um, an essence of kind of a, a peacefulness that people maybe weren't aware of, but that was affecting them. Yeah. So if I needed it as a reader in the end, in the very end, as much as I want other people to love the book, if I don't love it, or if I feel like for the rest of my life, I should have never left those stories out because I love them. Why didn't I put them in? You know, I don't want to be left with that residue. So that's, you know, that's kind of how I made, made that decision. And that's what I would say, you know, go with your gut, but don't go with your ego. Because mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. just don't like what someone else said, because you are protecting or defensive, mm -hmm. then I think you've got to talk, talk to yourself about that. But you're not arguing with with your with your readers. You're you're thanking them profusely yes. for their for their wonderful time uh, and and their feedback. Yes. And then and then you're you're kind of weighing that in your in your own space. Yes, yeah. because you know as difficult as it is for a writer to put their work in front of readers and to take you know to take feedback, and it gets yeah. easier the longer yeah. you do it. Um, it's also difficult for readers to, and if you have good readers who are offering you honest feedback, man, you better appreciate that. And even yeah. if you don't agree with them, even if you're not going to do everything that they suggested you do, 
-hmm. you still acknowledge, appreciate, and treasure that experience. And mm -hmm. they did see it differently than you. At the end, somebody's got to make the decision, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I went with a lot of decisions as well that, that people made and a lot of expansion. People would say, well, can, can you write a little bit more about this? Or um, I don't understand what's going on in Lucy's head here. Mm -hmm. And, and you can cut this if we run if you run out of time. But no, you know, please. When I first started when I first started writing these, I had many stories had multiple characters' points of view in them. Yeah. And people were getting kind of shuttled between what one person was noticing about the scene and what okay. another person okay. was noticing. Uh, particularly that first story, the first chapter about uh, Giuseppe and Lucy. Lucy and, yeah. Um, yeah, and and I got feedback that maybe maybe just one point of view and I thought geez I'm gonna have to go into all these stories and I did it and it improved them immensely yeah. because you get to there's I think there's one or two where we have still have two people um the Anthony story is one of those because we mm -hmm. have him and his mother and mm -hmm. it works for that story for that chapter but it wasn't working as well for the other chapters and that was heavy lifting that was a you know that's a major revision uh but revision is where you know you'll hear this all the time revision is where the writing happens and revision is a joyful process it's yeah. so much fun if you let it be fun so you know that was wonderful wonderful feedback and I was not getting there on my own you know I thought I saw I got all these points of view and people are going to jump around like I'm jumping around well no because it was in my head but it you know, they were meeting it for the first time and it, and it needed to be that way. But we, as, as writers, we need to think, we need to believe fully that every, every word, every sentence, every paragraph, every page is forging new literary ground or telling, or telling a brand new story that no one has ever heard before. I, I'd say it's, it's a very fine balance between that creative vision that that you have the expertise the you know the 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 way the way you've you've come to communicate with the world finding finding that line between between that and the community who will read those words yeah marketing and <laughs> figuring out how to how to find that community is is a yeah. huge issue as well yeah um and you know there's a lot of question in writing like are you writing this for yourself as a reader are you who is your target audience yeah. what is and I don't I don't know how we figure I still don't know how we figure all of that out if you know if thinking about that gets you to a place where you're no longer writing what you want to be writing I think yeah. it's problematic right yeah. but at the at the same time it's it's not binary it's not a yes or a no there are considerations that that you definitely want to take because you want you know, you, when you write a book and you open that first chapter, you're basically throwing a door open mm -hmm. to the world and saying, you know, come into our, our homes, come in and, and live this life. And it's got to be a welcome mat there mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and so I think, I think you're, you're doing that. You're trying to do so much when you're writing a book, you're, you're just, you know, you're trying to make a somewhat permanent communication with, anyone who steps in yeah and and at some point it becomes this communal vehicle in which it ceases to be it ceases to be the author's 
and and it becomes it becomes the world's uh, domain, and it's interpreted that way. And we have as as writers, we have very little power over over that final interpretation, um, which which I think is is puts more of uh, of a responsibility on on the author, on the writer to write as clearly as possible to write those thoughts and uh, and words um, as succinctly as, as, pow- as possible to to minimize um, any uh, any misinterpretation right yeah yeah and I think sometimes people will say well, I don't care. People can get what they want out of it. Um, I'm not of that school. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm writing because I want people to get an experience. Um, yeah. And it's the intended experience. Like if they get extra, if they get more wonderful, I, yeah. you know, of course yeah. there are things that, you know, wonderful things that we put into our writing that we don't even know are there. Mm-hmm. We're constructing mm-hmm. and other people will notice them. Like when you were pointing out that repetition in the dialogue. But I I think uh, and and I'll finish I'll finish what I have to say okay. <laughs> right here. But I, I think one of the strengths of of audio love monster that you bring people to that other world is by placing it solidly in that other world. So this is in the in the sixties yeah. uh, in the, in the 60s world. So there's there's already that that leap in our minds back to back to that other place so we're already we're already stepping through through that time uh that that time continuum so to speak and and finding those those characters uh and their experiences and and even their their strange habits or or motivations or ideas or or cultures in that context so we're 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 making a step towards uh, towards that as much as as you the author are 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 making a step by uh by explaining it but not over explaining it right 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 you want to place them in the world you want to place yourself in the world like, yeah you, yeah you know as you're writing you're taking a trip to to these places right? as you're but as you're reading you're taking a trip as well that's part of that yeah. negotiation and a lot of that comes from just you know having listened yeah. Uh, to the world around you for for a lot of years and into stories about those times right because this can't all be done by research some of it's got to have have seeped into you and, and now be kind of leaching out mm-hmm. but there are moments where you have to stop and you need to make sure like when you're talking about the radio crime series which is in one of the stories they make sure when was the release yeah. date for that last one and you know yeah. when did this come out and when was this factory here and uh so you, you have to double check mm-hmm. uh and sometimes you just have to to go out and find as well but i think uh so much of entering that that time and space does come from memory yeah it also comes from i think you know <sighs> knowing that even though it's time that has passed and it's gone Mm -hmm. and it it ended right before I was born the genetic memory of it like what those people uh, who inspired these characters experienced what Chicago experienced Mm -hmm. what you know the world experienced Mm -hmm. that's in all of us it's alive in all of us We, we may not necessarily recognize it it might be camouflaged in everything else we are but but it does exist. So I think that's why when you 
take on a subject matter like this to write about or when when you go into it as a reader if it mm -hmm. does feel familiar because i think it you know it has been handed down to us in, in multiple ways yeah in, mul in multiple ways uh christina morocco audio love monster a writer christina morocco.com we, we got there almost an hour <laughs> i know <laughs> have to do two of them and feel free to take out the part about typos because no, no 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna run this fully on my on my playtime podcast so with uh with probably a little a little bit of music at, at the back end but uh th this was this was wonderful it was it was wonderful meeting you and you speaking too. with you and I I'm looking forward to to meeting you and and all the uh all the authors um, Great. And I look forward seller. to meeting them too. Yeah. I look yeah. forward to meeting my, my yep. fellow authors at the, at the bookseller. And also when you, uh, as you keep reading, if you come across a story mm -hmm. where you're like, hi, please give me, you know, like contact me, give me some feedback. What do you think when you get to, you know, Done. whatever story Absolutely. is, I don't want to lead you um, to any particular stories, but uh, yeah, I, I love to get to get reaction and 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 um, and response. I spent so uh, I spent years and years working with a uh, with a with a, a Sicilian restaurant owner uh, in in Chicago and 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 friends, and so a lot of a lot of the motivations and words and uh and culture is is already very familiar to me and um but uh I, like i said i'm i'm looking forward to reading the book and uh, finishing it yeah and, and, yeah and i i and think we'll discuss yeah and though there's the, you know they are definitely the the one family definitely sicilian uh, uh -huh. i think it's very much an american book in so many ways too yeah, yeah. you know that 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 the generational changing. It's about us as we as we emigrated to this country and found our footing and found mm -hmm. our feet, found found our our uh, as we as we negotiated with all those other immigrants from all over the world. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. The book is Audio Love Monster by Christina Morocco. Visit her website at writerchristinamorocco.com.